Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein joined us recently. We spoke about his brand new Art Scroll book. Actually, it was brand new a year ago, about the three weeks. Here is my conversation with Rabbi Daniel Gladstein on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. Here at JM in the AM. Well, I've been telling you about the artscroll.com. Don't forget our friends at artscroll.com have an incredible array of uh, books available to you and uh, the section on the three weeks on this time of year in general uh, with the um, uh, with the um, uh, nine days and Tisha B'Av, et etc coming up they got plenty there I want to point out to you a book that came out one year ago called the darkness and the dawn it's by Danielle Gladstein the anguish of the gullus and the glory of Jewish eternity with a discussion about the uh, about the, um, oh, do we have everybody Gladstein? Oh, there he is. A discussion about the uh, three weeks and Tishabov and everything you'd expect in a book uh, that talks about this time of year. It's called The Darkness and the Dawn. It came out last year. When you use promo code radio at artscroll.com, you get your free shipping and, of course, uh, of course, a major discount as well. So whatever you order from artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio. The book is called The Darkness and the Dawn, The Anguish of the Gullus and the Glory of Jewish Eternity. The last time we spoke to Rabbi Gladstein, he was in the midst of his um, uh, incredible campaign uh, that took place in the month of May, a campaign that was uh, designated to expand the incredible work of Machon Magid Harakia. Uh, they, at that time, were raising $1 million. And... Um, uh, he has been uh, just an incredible Magid Shear, wonderful lecturer, fantastic author, and he is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Rabbi Nachum. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope it you know, went... the three weeks, yeah, it's a time of uh, challenge, but it's one of the big highlights to be able to speak with you. No question that uh, it's a time of challenge and one that uh, uh, certainly... Um, is a is is a, is a time of a different mood than the rest of the year. That's for sure. That's one of the things we do here is we set aside uh, these weeks to uh, slow things down, get things into a three weeks format, and help people. I hope with inspiration and introspection. Rabbi Gladstein, um, it, it's a three weeks format, and therefore. Uh, uh, a week being seven days and three weeks times seven equaling 21. Is the three weeks actually 21 days or is the three weeks actually 22 days? Okay, so that's uh, a major subject dealt with in the book because we <laughs> we refer to it as three weeks. Right. But as you know, if uh, Shabbat Shabbat is a Sunday and Tisha is Sunday, they're actually 22 days. Right. So there are different ways of slicing it. You know, you could look at it as uh, 22 days. In fact, there's a very significant gematria, numerical value of the number of hours of the three weeks. So 22 times 24 is 528. That's mafteach key. So it would be the key of redemption. And on the other hand, Tishabav is considered a moyed. So maybe we don't have to count Tishabav toward the tragic part of the three weeks. So there's really different ways of looking at it. 
You know, it's funny, and the theme of Tishabov being, you know, on a different level, a potential moed, as you described, etc., a potential holiday, we should mention for everybody, uh, is is really something. I and ironically, ironically, I always tell people I have much more difficulty with Shavasarbatamus physically as a fast day than Tishabov, and people will be like, "What do you mean? Tishabov is longer. Mm -hmm. Tishabov is more difficult. Tishabov has other inuyim. Tishabov has other restrictions, etc." And I, I always think that aside from the physical aspect and not being used to fasting, right? We don't, it's a long period of time that we haven't fasted once you get to Shavasar Batamos. But I think there is a psychological thing to it. I think when you're fasting and starting off the three weeks and knowing that we are now going into the depths of, I don't want to say despair, but the depths of the calendar when it comes to the more serious time of the year uh, and knowing that the, mm-hmm. the, the full three weeks is coming up. And then, of course, uh, the nine days. And then, of course, Shavuot Shachalbo. And then, of course, Erev Tishabov Tishabov. I think it's a different attitude than on Tishabov when people are already thinking of Nachamu, thinking of Nachama, thinking of what their plans are for the remainder of the summer. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is there, you think there's anything to that? I do. Uh, you know, the, the Gemara says that we we commemorate Tishabov on the 9th, even though the majority of it burnt down on the 10th, because the beginning of something is more acute, is more severe. And that's similar to what you're saying. The, the start of something, the start of a tragic period is, is more painful than when, because you're really defined by where you're headed than where you're currently located. So as we're headed toward the three weeks right. and we have to traverse the whole period, it, it becomes, uh, as you say, psychologically somewhat overwhelming. Yeah. And, and it's funny because sometimes, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say people are criticized, but sometimes we do some self-criticism when when we are in fact focused on the post Tishabov activities um, as opposed to Tishabov itself on Tishabov. And I would even argue yeah. that some people get I don't want to say upset, but they but they look a certain way when a couple of days after Tishabov, this year obviously would be more than just a couple, that a couple of days after mm-hmm. Tishabov we're already in that, you know, I don't want to say frolicking, but you know, in a in a better mood, let's put it that way, in a better mood and doing more fun activities than we were just a couple of days earlier. But I think that that's part of the beauty of our existence as a Jewish people. That there's, you know, just like we are able to be Mavdol Ben Kodesh Lachol and 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 Tahar, and one thing can be, you know, holy one second and unholy the next, and vi- and vice versa. I think that's part of the, you know, the existence of our people. That you know, the the three weeks are the three weeks. Once they're over, you know, it's time to get into a different frame of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Like Kolzman Vice, there's a time, an appropriate time for every type of emotion. Interestingly, Chassam Sofer says that the months of Av are two separate months. There's Av, which is the first nine days, and then right. afterwards right. Uh, is Menachem Av. So he, he considers it almost an entirely different month once Tisha B'Av comes to an end. Oh, by the way, and, and, and I don't know how one could help but feel that way. You know, just the, the atmosphere feels that way, which, of course, now leads me to the question of the Hassam Sofer, Ben Shroshchodesh, and said Av or Menachem Av, but... Uh, <laughs> because yeah, I, right. Because <laughs> we say Menachem Av for good reason when we Ben Shroshchodesh. Uh, but anyway, that's a, right. so, that's a side point, to say the least. Why'd you call the book, and, and again, with some of the stuff we've already discussed, uh, I think it might be obvious, but you called it The Darkness and the Dawn, and there, there's so much about bitachon, so much about faith in this book, and so much about communal activity in this book. And even when, uh, as the Navi says, 
And as our predecessors, our ancestors experienced, even in the throes of terrible tragedy, uh, it is amazing how the Jewish people collectively and individually are able to look toward the dawn. You talk about your own grandfather in this context. And it may be one of the yeah. reasons, I, I, it may be one of the reasons, by the way, I was thinking about this, and it's always bothered me to an extent that the Holocaust is always one of the main components of our Tisha B'Av observance and thinking and preparation. But how can it not be? Because that's the closest. <laughs> that we as a people could ever feel the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the physical feeling that our, you know, the previous generations had during those horrible times. How is it that the Jewish people are always focused on the dawn when they're in the terrible uh, era of despair? Yeah, as you mentioned, this concept is very personal to me because my own grandfather would always say that when he was in Auschwitz, when he was in Dachau, Every day he believed in absolute faith that Mashiach would come today. He didn't have a doubt. He didn't think maybe. He believed it with conviction. And while it was the darkest time in the history of our people, my grandfather always said he saw raw giloy shchina, just divine revelation, whether it was when he was yanked out of a crematoria or when he was uh, select when he went at a selection line when the last moment he was told to go to life. He always said that even in the time of darkness, he saw Hashem's embrace for the Jewish people. And that, that message that he would give over to us. And my grandfather passed away a year ago at 106 years old. Wow. And his last words, his last words in this world were, I'm waiting for Mashiach. And then his neshama went up to Shemayim. So, this is a theme and this is a message that we, we learned firsthand from our grandfather. And I think this has to be a dominant theme when, when it comes to Tisha B'Av. You know, it's always an, such an interesting custom to me that on the actual day, midday, we get up from the floor. Right. Why are we, get, why are we getting off the floor? Right. We're in the middle of... We're middle of the morning. This is the most acute time of the Avelos. Right. But the message is that we never wallow in self-pity. We never feel sorry for ourselves. Our obligation is to dust ourselves off, pick ourselves up, and build for the future. And by the way, so this has to... And, and by, I'm yeah. sorry for interrupting, but by the way, this this is the exact point. How can one feel guilty about the change of mood once Tisha B'Av is, is finally here when the day the minhagim of the day itself demands that the mood change a bit? Absolutely, right. Clearly, our sages are directing us uh, in this fashion. Right. Um, and by the it's, way... It's always very interesting. No, yeah. no, I just want a, a point about your grandfather's life. And, and because people are probably thinking, what about those who didn't survive? But but what but we need to remember is that so many of those, no matter what their fate ended up being, had the same attitude that your grandfather had. Yeah, you know, Rabbi Hanan would say that uh, the success of the Jewish people um, in the aftermath is built on the sacrifice of those Jews who gave up their life for our people. Yeah, um, one of the a very moving chapters is the great dilemma that many of the sages had of whether to save their own lives during the Holocaust or to um, stay with their respective kahilas and be with them in their final moments. And my own great-grandfather, who was the last Rav of the city of Sakhachev, had every opportunity in the world to come to America. Actually, they were going to carve out a position for him to be the chief rabbi of 
the United States of America, the first time that position would have been carved out. And he decided he felt his, it was his moral obligation to stay with his kihila, and uh, he was murdered out to the Shashem in the Warsaw Ghetto. So th- this is, yeah. Whole thing is unbelievable. JM and the AM on a on a Wednesday with her by Danielle Gladstein. The book is called The Darkness and the Dawn. Arts Girl release The Darkness and the Dawn. What is your and I mean I read part of uh, what you wrote about it, but um, you know I think about yeah. I think about the um, the different things that happen during this time of year. What is your impression, opinion, uh, feeling about those of us who? seem to be cutting corners when we specifically seek out a siyum, a uh, a uh, suudas mitzvah, uh, to avoid mm-hmm. <laughs> to avoid having to avoid meat during the nine days. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> what do you think? Well, th- this this has become a very beloved custom in the Jewish people. <laughs> to say the you least. Know, the, <laughs> the great minhag um, of making a siyum. Look, um, you know, on the one hand, you sort of get the feeling it's a loophole, and you know, to what, how thorough did the person really learn the masechta, and are they just looking for an opportunity to, to have some extra basar? But on the other hand, one of the chapters in the book uh, deals with the idea that uh, the concept of korban means a realm where there's no taira, mm-hmm. and through the medium of siyum, you sort of create this realm where Chorban was not able to penetrate. So it's not that the Siam overrides the Chorban or overrides the prohibition of having meat, but it sort of creates this arena where the Chorban was not able to penetrate, or the, the language we use is Bemakaim Taira Ein Chorban. In a realm of Taira, there is no destruction. So that, that's a very beautiful idea that in a place of a Siam, the Chorban was not able to be effective. Um, so... It, that, that's an idea that's well substantiated. It, well, it, it made me feel a lot better, frankly, because <laughs> no, but I'm being serious about that. Like, you know, if one's participating yeah. in a seum, they have to understand that there is a there is an extra level to it. There is, you know, something unique about it. And it's not just, you know, cheating to make sure one could have meat, but you're participating. And 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 if it's, you know, and if, and if this is what people do because they're, you know, the byproduct is that they're able to, you know, have a better meal, so to speak, uh, then this is what they mm-hmm. do. But the reality is, as you just said, if you're participating in a suda's mitzvah, one that has to do with Torah, then the Chorban is further yeah. away. And I, I thought that's just... Absolutely. I, I actually, I heard a, an amazing first-hand account that in a hotel in the Catskills where Moshe Feinstein was there, and he insisted that there be a siyam each day. And he would make the siyam, and he saw in the corner, Rav Schneer Cutler was there, and he saw that he was a little bit hesitant to constantly be partaking in the siyam, and Rav Moshe ordered him, you know, you, you have to eat, because if you don't participate then the other Yidin who are eating at the Siam, they're not going to be enjoying their meal. They're going to feel a little guilty. So Moshe not only made the Siam, but he insisted that the other great Rabbanim there also participate. Amazing. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Which, by the way, gives even more... Um, uh, it, uh, it, it makes one feel even better if they're in a summer camp atmosphere and there's a seum because again, you know, w- while we may look at it as you know a way to eat meat, the reality is you're talking about hundreds of kids together celebrating a a seum of a masechta, a seum of you know a portion mm-hmm. of the Torah, and and that you know that that you know, imagine.
occasion. If you're making a siyum with a few people, it's one thing. But rovam hadras melech, if you're uh, having the opportunity to do it with hundreds of people in a hotel or in a, uh, a, a or in a camp, it makes it even you know it makes it even more majestic, makes it nicer. So, absolutely. I, I was, if I may, I know yeah. your your uh, audience, uh, a high high level, sophisticated uh, audience. Right. Kabbalistically, the students of the Baal Shem Tov would say, you know, the force of impurity. His name is. Samach Mem Aleph Lamed. That's his name. And what it stands for is Siam Mesechta Ein Lasais. So the forces of impurity, if there's one thing they're out to stop, it's the making of a Siam. And when Yaakov Avinu came to the Harhabayas, he saw a Sulam. Sulam stands for Siam Mesechta Laasais. Make a Siam. And that is the force that with which we overcome the forces of Tuma. So there's actually a secret Kabbalistic uh, power in the Siam during this time of the year. Yeah, and and reminiscent of those times in Jewish history when when the Torah study was restricted by the enemy, and you know people would would literally risk their lives in order to do so, and and you know thank God. Uh, that was part of our enduring heritage is that, uh, you know, it's what kept Torah alive, that people in the most difficult of circumstances made sure to continue making siyumim and made sure to continue teaching Torah. So there's that as well. Absolutely. By the yeah. way, I mean, look, you've included, one can write a book about Bain HaMetzarim, one could write a book about the three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, with the bookends being Shavasar Batamas and Tishabov, and there's plenty of information in here, and I continue to recommend it to our listeners. Uh, but you made sure to include the Holocaust Memorial. You made sure to include the fact that, uh, again, um, th- th- this is the event in recent Jewish history that we can most relate to when it comes to Chorban, when it comes to destruction. And uh, it-, it gave me, again, as I said earlier, it gave me a clearer understanding of why we focus so much during the nine days on Tisha B'Av on the Holocaust. Because, you know, when you have something that you can relate to so much better than thinking back, you know, 2,000 years years to the Hurban, which of course we don't know anybody who at this point who was uh, right. who was part of it so that gave me a much clearer and, and I assume it's your family history that, that you. I think it's your family history that made that that yes. ma- that made you include this right I don't know if you if you didn't Absolutely. have that if, yeah, if you didn't have that experience you may not have been as as uh, inclined to include the I mean, uh, absolutely I mean the, these are personal stories that I grew up with that I live with that that you know my, my grandparents were survivors and everything about their personalities and their lives and how they dedicated the rest of their lives to rebuild the Jewish people. Um, everything about their lives uh, speaks about uh, the darkness of uh, the Gullahs and also the hope for the future of our people. Right. So it's a very personal story to me, and the hope is unbelievable. The dawn is just incredible, and 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 finally, um, yes. you've included in this book about the three weeks the four fasts, meaning the other fasts of the year. That also got me thinking that you know, as much as we concentrate so much of the uh, of of the thinking of the korban and the. Um, and the uh, br- breaking of the siege in Yerushalayim, et cetera, that le- leads eventually to the Chorban during these three weeks, one cannot really get the full experience of what we are commemorating without uh, without uh, speaking about and mentioning the other fasts. Would that, be, would that be the reason that they are included? 
Yeah, absolutely. The four fasts are one, are part of a cycle, beginning with the siege of Sarvatedes, going to the breaching the walls, Shabbat Shabbat the destruction on Tishabab, and then the last ember of hope being extinguished on Somgadalia. So they're all part of one entity, and you can't fully experience one without treating the subject of, of all four Tanesim. Yeah. And so I just and, part of and I just have to reiterate, I mean you mentioned in terms of the Holocaust and that and the Amuna and Bitachon is just incredible as you described it in the and the personal um, account that you gave uh, in terms of your own grandfather but what is it about the Jewish people how is it that that in the in the depths of despair and when the Navi is predicting the you know, most horrible experiences for the collective Jewish community how is it that there is so much hope that there is so much faith in the one above that there's no that there's there's no desire uh, I'll say that collectively, communally, that there's no desire to abandon the one above. There's just a desire to get as closer to him as possible. Look, obviously, uh, our connection with Avinu Shabbat Shemaim goes back 3,300 years, goes back to the time of Avraham Avinu. We are, Avraham Avinu and Sarah were, were biologically incapable of fathering a people, and God created Klal Yisrael from Avraham and Sarah, who were not really physically capable of producing children. And that, that shows us that Hashem created us from hopelessness, and, and yet we're still here. So that means the very fabric of our people is above and beyond Yosh, above and beyond hopelessness. And uh, Hashem selected us. He gave us the Torah in the year 2448, and that was such an, a momentous occasion that seared onto the collective soul of the Jewish people such a deep love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu that not, we, we're never going to give it up. Nothing could compete with that love, that rendezvous with HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Sinai. And if I may, sure. you know, we had this idea that uh, Tisha B'Av is a moyed, a yamtif, and it's really hard to understand you know, what, what kind of yamtif it is. is it? It's the most tragic day of the year. But Rav Yaakov Emden writes, that the greatest miracle in the history of the world is the continued survival of the Jewish people. Yeah. And when he contemplates the miraculous nature of how we're still around, how we're still kicking, he says he swears that it surpasses in his mind all the miracles that God performed for the Jewish people in Egypt. So if we have a Yom Tif like Pesach that commemorates Exodus, and we have a Yom Tif like Shavuos that commemorates the giving of the Torah, then in a way, Tishabav commemorates a much greater miracle. That's the miracle of continued Jewish survival. You know, it's, and in that way, yeah. No, I, I, I not to compare, <laughs> because yeah. uh, obviously there is no comparison. But I'll never forget. I saw an interview once with a non-Jewish academic, a historian, and, and they asked mm-hmm. him, "What's the most significant part of of history? Like, what 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 is one of the most amazing things in history?" And he cited how the Jewish people were able to rebound after the destruction of the temple. And I'm like, wow, even someone in that, uh, in that, you know, environment can understand just how significant that is. So again, the way Rav Yaakov Emden says it is much nicer, but you get my point. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we know the, you know, the famous uh, comments of Mark Twain, what is the secret of their immortality? So that's uh, really one of the greatest miracles that, uh, we've ever experienced or the world has ever experienced. So our forefathers 
they only experienced the Exodus. That was minor compared to the miracle that we see today with our own eyes when we're still around and the Jewish people are thriving. Amazing. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, the book is called The Darkness and the Dawn. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio, make sure to get your discount and your free shipping. Again, always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. The Darkness and the Dawn, the anguish of the gullus and the glory of Jewish eternity. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, um, uh, the, the book is amazing. And the book will enhance your three weeks experience. By the way, how's Machon Magid Harakia doing? Did the fundraising go well? Are we doing all right? Oh, the, we, we were very successful. Thank God we raised over a million dollars. We're oh, still sure. pushing, but um, thank you for the platform. Sure. That definitely enhanced uh, the campaign. And uh, we just uh, expanded over the last couple of weeks. And we have uh, many more people joining and coming to the Shiurim and listening to the broadcast. So, yeah, thanks for asking about that. Rabbi Gladstein, uh, you're doing amazing work and uh, positively affecting so many people out there. Continued success. And I hope that uh, I'm sure this book will help uh, inspire people during this period of time. And I really appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you for the time. Uh, Always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Bezrat Hashem. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, everybody. The book is called The Darkness and the Dawn. Go to artscroll.com. Use promo code radio, the darkness and the dawn, the anguish of the gullus, and the glory of the Jewish of Jewish eternity, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Uh, and if you want to check out the conversation we had about Machon Magid Harakia, uh, that goes back to a, um, a, a that goes back to um, uh, the month of May. You could find it uh, in the archives at uh, nahumsegel.com. More coming up. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Neil Gladstein. Get the book from artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Next up is Jordy Alter. Jordy Alter from Israel Baseball discussed sports, Maccabia, and baseball with us recently. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, we mentioned that the... Um we mentioned that there's a lot going on on the Israeli sports scene. A lot of people have been paying attention to the presidential visit to Israel, the political scene in Israel, but there's a lot happening on the sports scene in Israel. And with us live via telephone is the president of the Israel Association of Baseball, our good friend, Dr. Jordi Alter. He is with us live via telephone. Jordi, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nakam. It's a pleasure to be with you. I, I miss you greatly. So happy to be back. Thank I, you. I appreciate that, and I love when we get a chance to run into each other. Uh, all right, so let's start with the Maccabiah. Uh, they call it the Jewish Olympics. Uh, it's brought together uh, thousands of athletes from around the world. Pretty interesting coincidence that the President of the United States was in Israel for the start of the Maccabiah Games. I am assuming that the United States has a very large contingent and possibly, uh, like has usually happened in the past, I'm assuming they're winning in the medal count. I don't even know if you know that, but I just would assume that the U.S., because of its prowess on the sports scene, is dominating the Maccabiah like they usually do. Uh, is the Maccabiah making a, a splash at all in the state of Israel this time around? Yeah, I, I think for sure it has. In Israel in general, the Maccabiah is looked at, uh, you know, very favorably, and there's a lot. There's definitely a very heavy following. They've also spread out the events all over the country, so there's a lot going on in Haifa, you know, as well as in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem areas. So I think that enhances it as well. 
I think the attention given to the Biden visit brought some more attention to it here as well, even if it was a tremendous inconvenience. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, it's you know it's an exciting event. I'm actually here now at the Baptist Village. There's a softball game going on here right now, um, and uh, you know there's, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Well, is that uh, you know, it, on the? I was I was going to ask: Is that the closest that baseball has become as a sport in the Maccabia? Is there officially baseball, or is softball the limit at this point? No, Right, so there, no, there's a U18 Maccabi um, tournament for baseball. We have three teams, uh, Israel, U.S., and Canada. And the exciting part about it is we inaugurated our new field in Ramana this week. And this is the first time that we're playing tournament games there. Um, this is the Ezra Schwartz Memorial Field um, right in, uh, in, in Sportech in Renana. And it's a beautiful, beautiful facility um, that we're utilizing for the first time. So that's the most exciting part of the Maccabi for us, quite frankly. Uh, comparable to, I mean, you've been to minor league parks. You and I have been there together. You've been to major league parks. I mean, comparable to what? The Renana right. Stadium, you would say, reminds you of what? So it's, it's not designed really as a baseball stadium. I mean, there are baseball facilities. The idea is really for, for kids, for training, for our little leagues, for our younger kids. It's not really designed for this type of tournament. Right. Um, although we're using it because, you know, this is an exhibition tournament and we want to bring people to the center of the country. We want to bring people to Renana. Um, so it's not really designed, you know, as a minor league complex. Uh, what we're designing in Beit Shemesh um, is going to be that. It's going to be, uh, you know, a minor league or like a, a, a college type of uh, atmosphere. Uh, Jordy Alters with us live via telephone talking about baseball and sports in Israel. Um, is it possible that some of the uh, some of the um, uh, youngsters who are now playing in this exhibition tournament could be on the Israel national team one day? Uh, we, yes. The answer to that question is yes. Um, this is under 18, so a lot of these kids, a bunch of these kids are already are, um, are already subscribed that sports team will be in our army program, our baseball army program where they go to the army during the day and they, they dedicate time to baseball in the afternoon. A lot of those kids end up going to the States to college programs. And some of them actually get scholarships, believe it or not, to play baseball um, in the U S um, all these kids, all the older ones, the ones that are these sports team are the ones that participate with us in the European tournaments, um, of which we now, by the way, have three teams traveling to Europe this summer. We have a team right now in Valencia, the U 15 team, and then we have a U18 team uh, that's going to Czech Republic, and we have a, a U23 team that's going to um, to uh, Lithuania, to Vilnius, in uh, also in August. Do you travel? So, um, do you travel? Do you travel with any of these teams? I'm going to Vilnius actually. <laughs> I, I was there in 2019. By the way, 2019 in Vilnius. I think I actually spoke to you around then. We that was. We, that was the B tournament. We won that tournament. Uh, we beat Lithuania, and that was what enabled us to get to the A tournament. And then our placing fourth in the A tournament got us to the Olympic qualifier, and winning the Olympic qualifiers got what got us to the Olympics. So it all started for us in in Lithuania and in Vilnius. And by the way, I don't know if you remember, but the stadium there is it's in a city called Utena. And they have a small little field, and the little field is in the middle of a horse racing track. And that is, and they had used that field for years. And we came there, and there, here it is: this big horse racing track, and in the middle of the infield of the horse racing track is this baseball stadium. So, 
um, that's uh, that's where we're, we're going to be playing in August. Unbelievable! Wow. I'll tell you, Some, somehow the roots of the Jewish world all come back to Lithuania. Uh, Jordy Halter yeah. is with us live, live yeah. via telephone from Israel. Um, you know, the World Baseball Classic, as shocking as this this news might sound, is actually getting some attention here in the United States. In fact, it's funny that uh, a, a tournament that I thought largely was completely ignored or they couldn't help it, they just couldn't get any attention uh, it, it, uh, for it, you know, years ago. Now uh, there's discussion about different captains for different teams and which players are going to represent which countries, et cetera, et cetera. What's the schedule for the World Baseball Classic? And is, is Israel uh, uh, on schedule to be part of it? So um, the exciting thing about the, the baseball classic this time is that it's going to be our we, – we are taking part of it in it, and we were assigned to the division in Miami. Um, so as opposed to starting out in South Korea like we did last time and then we moved to Tokyo, we will be in Miami as long as we are able to continue in the tournament. We'll be there from the beginning to the end, God willing. Um, so that that is extremely exciting for us. Uh, unfortunately, we were placed in the division – that consists of the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico. Oh boy! Um, for, yeah, so it's going to be a tough, uh, tough division. Um, but uh, we're, you know, we're excited to be in Miami. We know the support there will be incredible, um, and also it'll be easier for us to to get major league players to play for us this time because they won't have to travel halfway around the world. So, you know, I don't know if you heard, but Jock Peterson has already agreed to to join us. Amazing. Um, I I just finished a week-long uh, tour together with Ian Kinsler and his entire family. Ian Kinsler is the manager of Team Israel for the WBC, and he, his wife, his two children, and his parents came for six days to Israel and just to get a feel for their, their, their heritage and their connection and everything, and it was an amazing experience. And uh, to have somebody like Ian Kinsler running the team and, you know, making – professional decisions is a, is a huge step for our, for our, you know, for Israel, for our organization. Unbelievable. Um, and this, uh, this is going to be in September, right? The Miami, uh, a piece to it. No, during... March. In March, March, March. Oh. It's, it's, in, it's actually during spring training. It's during spring training. So what you remember is in 2016 when we were in Brooklyn. Right. So that was in September because that was a qualifying tournament. Because at that point we had to qualify to make it into the, actual, you know, the, the champion, the, you know, the series itself. Um, now that we've qualified and last time we, since we finished sixth, we did have to qualify this time. So we're already into the tournament itself. So the tournament itself always takes place during spring training. Very cool. And that's happening at the Lone Depot Park in Miami, if I have that correct. That sounds right. Oh, no, who knows? Next year it might be changed to something else. But, yeah, it's Miami. <laughs> the way this thing works, <laughs> you're right. Uh, Jordy Alter with us from Israel. Well, right, so, so World Baseball Classic, we need to be aware of the fact that it's going to be in a uh, really popular area down in Miami at the beginning of 2023. Uh, and hopefully people will come out and root for Team Israel. We'll update everybody as we get closer. And uh, as you said, it's a very – I mean, you're talking about uh, – uh, you're talking about the, the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. I think both of them have either been champions and or runner-ups of the World Baseball Classic, you know, multiple times. So you're talking about, you know, teams. Puerto Rico was the, 
Puerto Rico was the runner-up in the last one, actually. Yeah, I think um, they were runner-up so, uh, in, in, in the two most recent ones, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, and Dominican Republic uh, won the whole thing in 2013. Uh, all right, so um, so now what about the? So I think we've covered. We've covered the the um, schedule, but what about the players? You mentioned those, you know, the recruiting that's going on, the possibility of uh, different players um, uh, joining the the team. Is it is is it going to have a completely new look? You know, we got used to rooting for certain players, as you know, and uh, keeping yeah. our keeping yeah. our focus on some of the stars of the Israel national baseball team. Is this going to be a completely new group? It it, it will be. Uh, almost all of our players that you've gotten so accustomed to over the last five years have retired and moved on. Um, you know, your, your, your buddy, John Moscott, who's out, you know, career ending uh, injury in the Olympics. Um, you know, guys like that, Mitch Glasser, Josh Zide, um, guys like that are all, all retired from playing actively. Most of them are still involved in baseball in some way. Um, many of them with our organization at some level, but this will be a completely different new team. Um, uh, we will probably have a little bit of flavor from the Israeli side of our players we haven't confirmed yet, but uh, we're reaching out to absolutely all Jewish players, all the players that can get, you know, it, just to remind you, it's not like the Olympics. It's in order to qualify for this tournament, you just have to have potential to get Israeli citizenship. Right. So, you know, if you one of your grandparents uh, was Jewish, you can, you can qualify. Even if your spouse is Jewish, you can qualify. Um, so we're scouring the, uh, the little rosters and we're getting advice every day and, uh, we're working on, we'll, we'll have a bunch of surprises as we get, uh, as things go on. The problem is the season is in full force and it's very hard to get commitments from major league players in July. Um, so, you know, we've put out a lot of, uh, feelers and probably in October, November, things will come together. You're scouring ancestry.org to try to put together a team. <laughs> Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Uh, and you heard, I'm sure, yeah. that, I mean, the, the pride that we have in terms of Jewish players that uh, that teams like the Nationals and the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks have chosen. And now I saw yesterday a Jewish player was chosen by the New York Yankees uh, in their draft. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, this thing, you know, it's funny because, you know, you were there obviously on the ground floor, but the excitement is building and... You know, th- this can get just get bigger and bigger and bigger as more uh, more members of the Jewish faith or those associated in some way with the Jewish faith are demonstrating, you know, great baseball skills. Absolutely, a- absolutely, and and it really, uh, it's it's shocking. It's shocking to see. <laughs> What's most shocking to me is 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 to see the players when they do come. Like you know, for example, like an Ian Kinsler who really didn't grow up knowing much about his Jewish heritage, um, and is so into finding out about it and so curious and so excited when they learn, you know, and, and, and the, the, the fascinating thing is when you bring a guy like that with his family who grew up in Arizona and then Dallas, you know, and um, really never exposed to Judaism and you take him to Yad Vashem and you take them to a, a kibbutz like we did yesterday, you know, right in the Gaza team area. Um, and you show them what regular normal people have to do to survive here and how happy they are to be here. It's, it's, it's a life-changing experience for them. Um, and that's what we hope to do, and that's what we do. It's, it's incredible. As you get these players, they're just names. But when you relate to them and when they come and they play with you and they, they get to know the story of Israel more and more, it makes a change in their life. Um, so that's the exciting part for me. And the ambassadors that they and their families become for the state of Israel and for the Jewish people. 
Yes, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. People that you know, just follow Israel, you know, maybe a small part of what they hear in the press that we know, um, you know, your, listen- your listeners know that that's, uh, you know, not uh, always the adequate or accurate description of what's going on. When they come here and they see it for their own eyes, they just start to ask all the questions. What's this? Why is this? Why do I hear this? And, you know, it becomes much clearer to them, though, people that are free thinking and people that, you know, understand that the press is not necessarily should be guiding what they, you know, it's the, the press's own personal biases involved. Um, that when they can see it with their own eyes, it, it makes such a difference. And people ask why I concentrate on this topic and, you know, why it would be important for this program to focus on what you're describing. And, you know, I I try to tell people that when those Israeli, uh, when the Israel baseball team, national baseball team caps come off for the national anthem and they're wearing kippot. Uh, and 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 of course, yeah. and of course, I could cite you know a thousand other uh, examples. Uh, anybody who watched the documentary knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and if you want to see Jordy Alter read the Megillah, go watch the documentary. If you want to watch him read a Megillah, <laughs> if you want to watch watch, watch him read watch him read Megillah Esther in the dugout, then then go watch the documentary. <laughs> but I mean, all these things are so important in the long run. I know that you know that that, that not everybody gets it, but it is so so important in the long run. So we talked about the Maccabee, and I'm glad to hear that there's some buzz about it in Israel. We talked about the World Baseball Classic. We anticipate the beginning of 2023. I can't wait to hop out on that bandwagon again. Is there any Olympic talk? What do we need to know in terms of the next Olympic Games? The Olympics are a bit frustrating because the next Olympic Games is in 2024 in uh, France and there's no baseball in it. Ah. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, Whose decision was that? So every so baseball is not a permanent fixture in the Olympics. So there are those permanent sports, and then every country, the hosting country gets to pick, I don't know, five or six other sports that uh, they feel connected to. So of course, in Tokyo, that was a no-brainer, right? right. Um, but in France, it's, it's not so simple. Um, so we lost out on that, which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate from, from obviously, the, the inability to compete, but also from a financial uh, basis here in, in Israel, they support uh, sports based on their Olympic participation or not. Uh, and sports that are minor sports don't get the same support as sports that are Olympic sports. Got it. So that's, that's a bit unfortunate for, from our perspective. 2028 will be in Los Angeles. It has not yet been announced whether or not baseball will be in the Olympics. I can't imagine that it won't be in Los Angeles. But there are complications. There are issues in you know, the numbers of athletes that they allow into the Olympics and you know, figuring out how they can manage that because baseball brings a large you know, group. Every team brings, you know, there are 50 between delegates and players and support staff. It's, it's a large group to support. So, right. you know, we have to figure that out. At the end, I believe it will happen in 2028. We're hoping you know that announcement should come sometime next year. All right. So WBC is our basic focus right now. This is where we're at, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, I, I neglected to mention, and in fact, in, in fact, the very beginning of this interview, I had a gentleman sitting next to me. Uh, his name is Kruno Slava. He's from Croatia. He's the president of baseball in Croatia. Um, he's here visiting Israel right now, and he's checking out our facilities because we have applied for and been approved um, to host the 2025 European Baseball Championship here in Israel, <laughs> where 16 of the top, top teams in Europe will be in Israel competing, and we are actually taking it to the various facilities. We're now in 
in the Baptist village in Petah Tikva, ironically. After this, we're going to Beit Shemesh to show them the field that we're building there. And uh, God willing, 2025, the center of baseball in September for the for all of Europe will be Israel. I love it. Absolutely love it. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah. do, you're doing a great job. I know you're part of a big team, uh, not just the team that takes the field, Thank but the you. team that's behind the scenes. Uh, so call out vote to everybody that's, uh, that's working hard to keep this baseball uh, interest going and the, uh, uh, the active baseball team um, uh, competing in Israel and beyond. Looking forward to the World Baseball Classic. And um, what can I tell you, Jordy? I, I get the importance of this in the big picture. It is a, uh, it's really a life-changing experience for the players, but it's, a, it's really a world-changing experience uh, for so many. And, um, uh, and and therefore, I, I just commend you guys for the job that you're doing and keeping this going uh, to the level that you are. You should go from strength to strength with the Israel baseball team. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Listen, at the end of the day, it's not about whether you, you know, agree with, you know, Lane McGill in the, in the dugout or saying finish <laughs> in the clubhouse. It's about, it's about exposing people to a positive side of Israel. And any way you can do that, and through sport, it's a great way to do that. You know, it, it, it's a... It, it, produces a Kiddush Hashem for us. Yep. And that's the ultimate uh, you know, thing that we're looking for. Sports so. is king, everybody. Those not into it have to realize that. Sports is king. Uh, Jordy, yeah. thanks so much, and to continued success. Have a great summer. Thank you, my friend. You too. We'll be in touch. Be well. Jordy Alter is president of the Israel Association of Baseball. They're doing a great job. They're doing a great job. I'm looking forward to the World Baseball Classic coming up at the beginning of 2023. I thought it was toward the end of this baseball season. It's not as Jordy described. Um, the the actual World Baseball Classic is going to be happening starting in Miami uh, in March of 2023. Hmm. Who's thinking of booking tickets for Florida for that time of year? More coming up. It's a three-weeks format uh, Tuesday here at JM and the AM. That was my conversation with Jordy Alter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up. Keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. What are you doing this